Good morning, church. How you doing today? Good. So good to see you. Glad you're here at first service today. We've got a very special guest I want to introduce to you today. You just saw in our opening video the title, Work as Worship. Some of you have never probably ever thought as work as worship, but you're going to hear about it today. About 10 years ago, I met John Kim. John Kim is the general manager at Cottonwood Church in Orange County. Works with Bayless and Janet Conley there. Went on staff there, I guess, what, 10 or 11 years ago? You've been on staff that long now. And then when Ann and I were there working on staff, we worked with John in some different areas, and John became a, a quick friend of mine. I mean, we just hit it off, became really good friends. And this guy is just amazing. He's a man of integrity. He does a great job as general manager at Cottonwood Church. He also is a preacher of the gospel. He's got some great things to share today. But Back at the end of last year with the transition we were making in our offices, all that was happening, we've taken John on. He's working with us as a consultant, working with the business end of our church, working with operations, with a lot of things. He's got his hand involved in a lot of things with us, working as a consultant. And I asked John to come and share today and just give us God's Word. He's a part of us now, at least occasionally, so he'll be down here on a, occasionally on a Sunday. He's down here every few days in the office. If you would, just give John Kim a big welcome to the Bridge Church this morning. John, come if you would, please. Thanks, Gary. You know, ever since Gary left Cottonwood, we don't have as much fun there anymore. <laughs> we don't laugh as much. When Gary was there, he and I would have lunch quite often, and it was always a blast. So thanks, Gary. It's an honor to be here today. About 10 years ago, when Pastor Bayless asked me to come on staff, and I told my parents that I was going to become the general manager overseeing the operations of the church, and at first, they weren't very excited about it. They sensed God's ministry in me and that they wanted me to go into ministry, but when they realized it was operational and business, they didn't see it as ministry at first. In fact, my parents thought that ministry was being a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist. To them, running the operations side of the church, taking care of buildings, security, staffing, money matters, technology, all of that to them was secular not sacred. And I'm convinced that many Christians, maybe even some of you here today, look at life as secular versus sacred. You look at the word work, and to you it seems a little bit dirty. It's a way to pay bills, you know, make ends meet, put food on the table. You look at Monday through Friday as your secular life, and then you come to church on Sunday, and you worship, and you listen to God's word, and that's your sacred life. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. I'm convinced that what you do every day at work is just as holy as what a pastor does from the pulpit. God has strategically placed you at work so that you can make a difference for God's kingdom. And what place do you spend most of your time during the week? It's at work, right? Whether you like your job or not, God has placed you there intentionally and purposefully. And you have an opportunity to worship God through work and show everybody around you what kind of God you serve. Say this with me. My work is my worship to God. I know it's a foreign concept, but I guarantee if you can grab a hold of this thought today, 
it will make a difference in your life. So that is the title of my message today, Work as Worship. And I want to unpack that in three very clear points. Number one, I want to talk about the fact that God cares about your work. He cares about the tasks that you do. He cares about the people you interact with. He cares about everything you do at work. It's important to God. Second, I want to talk about promotion at work. Do you believe that promotion comes from God? If that's the case, don't you think following God's prescription for promotion is the best way rather than trying to do it yourself? The third point is this, how to live out your faith at work. Billy Graham once said that the next great awakening in America will happen in the workplace. So let's talk about the first point. God cares about your work. Check out this video. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for my family. Give us this day our daily bread. Please watch over us. Protect us. Keep us safe as we travel. Make us healthy and strong. Be with our kids today. Help them learn and grow into godly young men and women. Thank you for your word. Help us know you more every day. May we never take for granted your beauty and your creativity. And for those who are hurting, who are hungry, or lost, or helpless, bring hope. Send rescue. everything. In this video, you saw a parent, a farmer, a truck driver, a grocer, a soldier, a firefighter, a police officer, a Caltrans worker, a pilot, a therapist, a nurse, a teacher, a basketball coach, a warehouse worker, a preacher, an artist, a musician, a missionary, and an insurance agent. This list must not be separated into sacred 
and secular. In fact, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, nothing we do is secular. Are you in agreement? It's all holy to God because Scripture says whatever you do, do it all with your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I believe that God cares about your work because it's his way, as we saw in this video, of answering the cries and the needs and the prayers of the people of this world. Now, if this is true, we must have a paradigm shift when it comes to work. I want to share with you two very simple paradigm shifts. Number one is this. Work is not a curse. I knew some people would giggle a little bit. You may have the worst boss ever, but it's still not a curse. You may have to work a swing shift or graveyard, but it's still not a curse. Your paycheck may be dismal, but it's still not a curse. You may commute over two hours a day in traffic, but it's still not a curse. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment with me. Close your eyes and think about the people that you work with. Bring their faces to your mind. Think about the task that you do. Think about the environment that you work in. Do you have that picture in your mind? Now say this with me. My work is not a curse. Say it. It's an opportunity to worship God. You can open your eyes. I know for many of you that was difficult to say, but I believe that statement of faith pleases God. Let me share with you some scripture verses showing that work is not a curse. In Genesis 1.1, we learn that God is a God who works. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word creates signifies work. And then on the chapter 2, it goes on to say, on the seventh day, God rested from the work that he had done. The very first thing we learn about God in the Bible is that he is a working God. He created. He brought beauty in. He brought, set boundaries. He set laws and orders in place and provided raw materials for you and I to use. And then God said to man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. That is talking about work. And all of this takes place well before sin entered the earth. Work has always been God's idea. It's holy to God. And it was the very first thing that God told man to do. I believe work is holy because when we work, we are imitating our heavenly father. Here's a second paradigm shift. Through work, we can experience God's pleasure. Through work, we can experience God's pleasure. In this old classic movie, Chariots of Fire, you see the main character, his name is Eric Little. He's a runner. He and his sister Jenny are having a conversation, and Jenny says to Eric, Eric, why do you waste so much time running and preparing for the Olympics? China needs you. God's called you to be a missionary. And I love Eric's response. He says this, Jenny, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. One of the areas I oversee at Cottonwood is finance. And we recently refinanced our church loan. And I spent much time looking at Excel spreadsheets, preparing for and making presentations to our staff, to our pastoral team, and then to our bank executives. Countless hours were spent looking at P&L statements and balance sheets and budgets and pro formas. You name it, I spent so much time looking at those things. And I got to tell you, 
I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it. I can honestly say I felt God's pleasure as I was working on that project. You too can experience God's pleasure as you do your work. If you begin to see work as God sees it, as something that is holy and not a curse. When you begin to see work in this manner, you too can experience God's pleasure as you work. I believe God has given you skills to organize, to fix, to communicate, to problem solve, to multitask, to raise kids, to create art and music, to write poetry, to capture breathtaking photos, to care for the hurting, to raise a family, to run a business, to provide justice, to teach, to invent, and so much more. In all of these areas, you should feel God's pleasure. Why? Because God takes pleasure in all of those things. God cares about your work right now. Even if you feel as though you're in a dead-end job, or perhaps you hit your ceiling, you got, to, you got to your max, even though that might be the case, I believe God wants you there to worship Him. And as you do so, you will experience His pleasure. When we have this paradigm shift, I believe that it's just a matter of time before you experience God's promotion. In Psalm 75, in the Amplified, verse 6 through 7, it says this, For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, come promotion and lifting up. But God is the judge. He puts down and he lifts up another. It's very clear, promotion comes from God. But I also believe we can cooperate with him. So I want to share with you four Ps to promotion God's way. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. Verse 1 through 4. Genesis 39, verse 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. The first P to promotion God's way is presence of God. Presence of God. In verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. Perhaps Joseph was well educated. Maybe he graduated top of his class. But the reason God says he was blessed or he had success was because he lived in the presence of God. God was with him. Yes, education and knowledge and experience, they're all important to be successful. But I believe living in God's presence is even more important God's favor can make up for the lack of education and all of those. But those things can never take the place of God's favor. So what does it mean to live in the presence of God? If you're taking notes, here's my definition. Living in the presence of God means this. Having a daily awareness that I'm serving God in everything that I do. And making God's word the final authority in all of my decisions. Having a daily awareness that everything I do is unto the Lord. And then making God's word the final authority. 
I learned what it means to live in the presence of God from my dad. I worked for him for 10 years in a family business. When I would go into work, I would see my dad sitting in his office, reading his Bible and praying. When he would deal with his clients, I always saw him telling the truth, keeping his promise, going the extra mile because my dad knew that he was working for the Lord. I want to give you an example. One time my father was building a, a large metal frame awning. That was the business that we were in. We were making shade structures for big companies. And he made this metal awning and had the inspector come in and inspect the metal frame that he had spent time making. And the inspector said, Sam, his name is Sam, Sam, I can't approve this awning because the metal that you use isn't heavy enough. It's not thick enough. you got to start all over again. And I remember my dad being very discouraged, and he told me what had happened. So I said, Dad, why don't you just go back to the company and tell them what happened. Just be honest. Tell them you have to remake it. It's going to cost a little bit more and charge them extra. And my dad looked at me and said, son, I can't do that. I promised the company that I would charge them this much and I'm going to deliver even if it means I'm going to take a loss. You see, my dad knew he was serving God, not man. He knew that the word says in Psalm 15, 4, that this person should, uh, you should keep your promise even if it's to your own hurt. I learned to live in the presence of God from my dad. And that is the first P, the most important, I think, because everything else submits to this. Here's the second P, productivity. In verse 3, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him. The master saw that the Lord was with him. Potiphar noticed that God was with him and that he was productive in everything he did. Joseph didn't have to parade himself and tell others how good he was. The scripture says, his master saw, which means Joseph's actions spoke on his behalf. Let me give you two quotes about how you do your job. The first one goes like this. Every job you do is a self-portrait of who you are. Every job you do is a self-portrait of who you are. So let me ask you this morning, what does your portrait look like? Is it a Michelangelo masterpiece or is it a doodling of a kindergarten student? What does your portrait look like? The second quote goes like this. The pathway to success is to do common things in an uncommon way. That is what's going to give you the edge. Do common things in an uncommon way, which means in whatever field or industry you find yourselves in, become the most knowledgeable, be the most proficient, provide the best service, demonstrate unsurpassed performance, and you will always have people seeking your help. Let me give you two simple, practical steps to help you be productive. And I guarantee most people at work don't do these two things. Here's the first one. Turn problems and mistakes into opportunities to demonstrate you can be trusted. Let me say that again. Turn problems and mistakes into opportunities to demonstrate that you can be trusted. People will try to hide their mistakes and they'll go around problems. But when you hit, problem, when you hit a problem, you go straight into it and you take care of it. It will demonstrate that you can be trusted. Let me give you an example. At Cottonwood, I had a co-worker of mine. His name is Ray. He came up to me and said, hey, hey, John, I want to do this new initiative. I want to call it Cottonwood Runners. We have a marathon coming up in Long Beach. We want to run. We want to raise funds and give it to Grateful Hearts. It's similar to your ministry here, Community Care. And I said, Ray, man, I don't think it's a good idea. 
how many people do you think are actually going to run in this thing and, and make it go? And I doubt you're, you're even going to have 50 people show up. You're not even going to raise $50,000. So I think it's a waste of time. But if you want to do it, go for it. Ray looked at me and said, John, I want to do it anyway. I said, go for it, Ray. After the first race, the statistics came in. He had 52 runners. He beat me by two. They raised $60,000 after the first time around. We're having our very first staff meeting right after the event. There's 60 staff members, and I'm emceeing the staff meeting. And I said, Ray, I want you to stand up. Ray stood up. I said, Ray, way to go, my friend. You were right, and I was wrong. You said you wanted to do this, and I said it's a bad idea, but look what you did. And I, I gave him all the props, and the staff erupted and, and clapping and just a lot of celebration in that room. Why? Not because I was wrong. Because there was synergy there. When someone is able to say, I was wrong and you're right, it creates trust. It builds trust among people. One of the most powerful words that we can say in the English language is this. I'm sorry. Can you say that together? Say it. I'm sorry. How does that sound? It's not easy to say, but those two words are powerful. It builds trust when you can take your mistakes and problems and turn it into opportunities for people to trust in you. Here's a second thing you can do. Respond to people right away. Respond to people right away. I found that most people are shocked when I call them back immediately. Why? Because most people don't take the time to do that. In fact, when you call people back right away, when you email people back right away, it leaves a lasting impression. Do you know why? Because most people don't. Have you ever reached out to shake someone's hand and they either didn't see it or they intentionally didn't shake your hand? How does that make you feel? You sort of feel a little dumb, right? It's the same thing. When you don't respond to people, it communicates that you don't care. Even if that's not your message, when you don't get back to people, it's communicating you don't care. If you can create a track record in your workplace of getting back to people in a timely manner, it will leave a lasting impression. And when they need help, your face will be the first to come to their mind and they'll think, oh yeah, if I call this person, I know they'll help me out. Well, you know what? You might say, well, this is so basic. It's so elementary. Call it what you may. But I guarantee most people do not do these two things at work. And when you do it, it will help you to be productive. The third P is this. Put others first. Put others first. I believe before God will give you success that you're looking for, you must first learn to serve other people. In verse 4, oh, we just read, it says, So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. He served Potiphar. Keep in mind, God gave Joseph great dreams of power and authority when he was young. God caused everything Joseph did to prosper. He was recognized by other people around him to have this supernatural spirit. And yet Joseph knew how to humble himself and serve his master faithfully. You may have been called by God. You may have gifts beyond measure. You may even be able to do your job better than any of your co-workers or even your supervisor. But if you can't serve those around you, it won't do you any good. Luke 16, 12 says this. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Serve those in authority over you. 
Do your best to make your supervisor look good and give him or her the credit for it. Help others around you to get their promotion. And when you do so, your promotion will come from God. Amen? The fourth P goes like this. Patience through testing. Just when everything seemed to be going well for Joseph, Potiphar's wife lies about him. He gets thrown in prison and left there for at least two years. But the story doesn't end there. God remembers Joseph, brings him out, makes him the most powerful person next to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. I don't know anyone who likes tests. Joseph went through a tremendous test. He came out on top. But you know what? When God brings tests, it's always for your own good. Deuteronomy 8.16 says, And he might test you to do you good in the end. Some of you are going through tests right now at work. There's a coworker that drives you crazy. Perhaps you were overlooked for that promotion. Someone else got the credit for the job you did. I see some people smiling out there. You've been asked to do something below your pay grade. You've been treated unfairly. You got blamed for something you didn't do. Whatever you're testing, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up yet. Here's what to do. Be patient and search the scriptures and say, God, what do you want me to do in response to this situation? And then do that and then zip your mouth. No gossiping at work. Don't talk behind people's back. Just zip your mouth. Do what God tells you to do. And remember Psalm 37, verse 5. It goes like this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as a noon day. Let God vindicate you. Let God lift you up. Are you with me? Ultimately, Joseph was lifted to the highest level next to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. Have you ever wondered why did God elevate him? Why did God promote him just at that time? He did it to save lives. When God promotes, he doesn't just do it to promote you. He does it for a greater purpose. And here are the three key words. Promotion gives you a platform to proclaim God's word. Promotion gives you a platform to proclaim the love of God. Are you with me? So let's talk about how to proclaim God's love at work. In 2004, an American airline pilot said over the loudspeaker, today we have sunny skies, moderate winds, it's currently 8 a.m. and our flight time will be 4 hours and 20 minutes. Oh, by the way, if you were to die today, do you think you'll go to heaven? True story. If you were to die today, do you think you'll go to heaven? And he had any Christian in the plane raise their hand and said, if you're not sure about your eternal destiny, go and talk to the person that's raising their hand. Can you believe the consternation that would have caused the people in that plane as they're about to take off and the pilot is saying... If you were to die today, he got fired soon afterwards. <laughs> the pilot had good intentions, but he did not understand what it really means to live out his faith at work. Some Christians think that living out one's faith is to name your coffee business as Hebrews, right? Or your, your beauty salon, a cut above. Or you say at work, Merry Christmas. You refuse to say Happy Holidays. Because you want to be a Christian, right? None of these are bad methods, but I think God wants us to go deeper 
in our approach. So check out this story of Megan. I grew up on a farm in the middle of Oregon, went to school in Seattle, and then after that moved to New York with some friends, kind of in search of an adventure, um, but also for a job in the industry. And started working for Ralph Lauren not too long after I got here. And slowly um, got to where I wanted to be in design. And I spearhead the conceptual part of the design process and then also get to design garments um, until the very end. So I really am a part of the creative process from start to finish. And so I think that's a really unique part of my job is getting to create and design something beautiful and something um, that's cohesive and pleasant to the eye. And yeah, I, I do that knowing that it's something that my creator has instilled in me. I think with any job that we're given, whether we like it or not, is meant to be done well and to the best of our ability and used as worship to our sovereign God who has placed us in that position. And I love to create, sketch things and choose colors and patterns and fabrics. And I do get to do that to God's glory and it is a form of worship. Um, with the design process, you're doing really similar things each season. And I think sometimes I do find myself getting a little bored, um, maybe anxious. And it's in those times that I realize that my job is not just for my enjoyment, but it's really for God's glory. It's meant um, to be done well and I need to maintain a level of work ethic and a quality of design that I'm proud of. I think the greatest way to worship God in your workplace is by loving those that He's placed around you. And the people around me have been with me for about three years, and so we know each other very well. And we have many conversations about our personal lives. And it's been a really cool opportunity to be a listener, to be a friend, um, to love them, and to have them notice that there's something different about me and the way that I live and the way that I act, the way that I work, the way that I treat my boss. Um, one morning, specifically, a coworker um, who is a good friend of mine turned around and asked, why are you happy all the time? And I quickly realized that she wasn't just joking or teasing me, but she really wanted an answer. And there was a long pause and kind of this moment of like, I can give her a watered down answer or I can really use this as an opportunity to tell her why I'm happy. And not just happy, but joyful and live with hope and purpose. And it started many a conversations. Um, she's definitely searching for happiness. And I got to share a lot of my faith with her. And it is an ongoing relationship and an ongoing story. And I definitely think that my job is much more than just um, a designer. It's much more than just designing clothes. And I definitely feel called as a missionary in my workplace. Megan understands what it means to live out her faith at work. I love her closing remark. My job is much more than a designer. I definitely feel called as a missionary at my workplace. This should be the mindset for us as we live out our faith at work. You might be there to do a task or to finish a project, supervise people, to get a paycheck, but first and foremost, you are there as a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our strategy when it comes to being a missionary at work? It's a very simple two-part strategy. Number one, excel in whatever task you are given. 
excel in whatever task you are given. Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. God will place you in different situations at work. And when you respond with quality, integrity, and mercy, you will earn the right to be heard. If you're taking notes, let me give you those three words again. Quality, integrity, and mercy. Let me give you an example. An intern in New York was working in the fashion industry, and she made a terrible mistake that cost the company thousands of dollars, and she got called in to get let go. But her supervisor stepped in, and he said this, you know what, I know she made this mistake. I know it cost the company thousands of dollars, but let me take the heat for this one. I think I could have done a better job to train her and to equip her. I'll take the hit, and I'll make it up to the company somehow. And she was spared. Later on that afternoon, this intern came into her boss's office with tears streaming down her face. said, why did you do this for me? You had every right to let me go because I made that mistake. And the supervisor responded, let me tell you a story of someone who did the same thing for my life and has profoundly changed me. He could have thrown me under the bus and he took responsibility for all of my mistakes. Would you like to know who he is? Needless to say, this intern accepted Jesus into her heart that day. Let's talk about that supervisor for a moment. He was in a position of authority. He had staff and interns under him. But it didn't happen overnight, obviously. I'm sure he proved himself with the quality of his work. And that's why he was promoted to a supervisory level. There's that word quality. He went in before the vice president and said, let me take the hit for this one. Trust me on this. He had the trust because he demonstrated integrity year after year after year. Integrity is key. He could have thrown this young intern under the bus, but he showed mercy. When you demonstrate quality, integrity, and mercy, it gives you a platform to speak on behalf of God and show God's amazing love. That is why God tells us to excel in everything that we do because it gives us a platform to be a voice for God. Here's the second strategy. Be ready with an answer. Be ready with an answer. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. You might say, well, I'm not that good in talking. Well, Moses wasn't either. God used Moses to lead over a million people and bring them to the promised land. Actually, if you're honest with yourselves, that thought or that excuse, I'm not very good in talking, is merely an excuse founded upon a greater desire to preserve your own self-image rather than to proclaim the love of God to a lost and dying world. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries to China, said this, I wish that God would make hell so real to you that you cannot rest if we truly understood the weightiness of eternity, the reality of heaven and hell, we would have no problem telling people about God. If I was trapped in a high-rise building on the 10th floor and it was burning down and I thought I was going to die for sure and someone came in and grabbed me and took me down to safety and put me on the side of the road where it was safe and someone came along and said, what happened to you? I would have no problem saying, man, I was up in that building. I should have been dead, but this man right over here saved me today. That would be my story. I would have no 
hold back in telling what happened. Let me ask you, what is your story today? If someone were to ask you, hey, I've never heard you talk negative about your boss or your coworkers. You always seem to radiate this calmness about you. Why is that? What would be your response? Do you have a two to three minute response, a compelling story of who Jesus is to you in your life? If you don't, here's my homework to you when you go home today. Write down your personal testimony. It doesn't have to be, man, this elaborate story. Just a simple two to three minute story of who Jesus is in your life and what he's done. And be ready to share that. And I guarantee when you have that story, man, God is going to give you opportunities to tell other people. Living out your faith at work is actually very simple. It may not be the easiest thing, but it's simple. By doing two things. Excel in whatever you do. And be ready to give an answer. If someone were to ask me, John, how do you know God is real? This is my story or one of them. And I'll share that with you as I prepare to close. About six years ago, my wife and I began a journey that has taken quite some time to walk through. In fact, we're still walking through it. About six years ago, my wife got very ill. And we went to the hospital. What I thought would be just a few-day stay at the hospital turned into about a one-month stay at the hospital. At a couple of points, it was very close, and I didn't think she was going to pull out. And I remember about two or three days in to the hospital, my wife was laying there in the bed. I was there with her. It was about midnight. I could tell she was getting very, very restless. She wasn't feeling good. I, I knew something wasn't right. And all of a sudden, she lost the ability to speak. Just gibberish coming out of her mouth, just nonsense. At that moment of panic, I didn't know what to do. The nurses were panicking as well. At that moment, I saw the most amazing thing happen that demonstrates to me for the rest of my life that God is with us in the most darkest times. As she was speaking this gibberish, she said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me and went right over to gibberish again. From going to nonsense to speaking God's word back to nonsense. Her mind and her body was shutting down, but the spirit of God that was with us spoke through her spirit and spoke out God's word. At that moment, I was too panicked to know what was really going on. But later on, I sat down to think about what just happened. God was reminding us, even though we're going through a dark time, his presence is with us. He's walking with us, and we're still walking through that journey, and we've seen some amazing things happen, God doing in my wife's life, and we're believing for a full recovery, and she's on the way. But in this time, it's been a tough road, but one thing I've learned, and here's how I know God is real, I've experienced His strength, I've experienced His encouragement, I've experienced His peace, even in the most difficult times, this peace unspeakable, and I know that God loves me, and I've sensed His presence in my life. That's how I know God is real. There may be some of you in this place today. Perhaps you don't have that kind of relationship with God. I don't know. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. God loves you. He paid for all of your sins. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and He hung there on the cross, shed His blood, and died. And He rose again on the third day. Every sin that you committed or will commit 
has been paid for on Calvary, and He wants to live inside of you and walk with you and help you through every season of life. I can't imagine how I could live without God. There's no way. And some of you in here perhaps are not walking with Him, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So go ahead and close your eyes for just a moment, will you? Place your hand over your heart, and will you say this prayer with me? to invite Jesus. And if you've already done so, go ahead and say it again. Let's say it together as a church. Encourage those who need to respond and pray this prayer. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying for all of my sins. I ask you right now to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and walk with me all the days of my life. And I promise to serve you and honor you and worship you in everything I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Church, may you be blessed today and as you go back to work on Monday, look at your work as an opportunity to worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he takes pleasure in what you do. Amen? God bless you guys. Did, they, did you enjoy that this morning? Did it hit home? John, that was great. God dropped something in my heart this week, and I didn't know how it was all going to tie together, but I want to do something here. Uh, I really feel like this morning, while John was speaking, that God probably tapped on some hearts and kind of did some adjusting, and maybe you saw yourself at work thinking, hmm, that's what I need to do with that. I, I want to do something right now, and I, I, don't, I would never embarrass anyone, but maybe, maybe you're facing some challenges or some opportunities at work. John said they're one and the same thing challenges or opportunities maybe you're facing some situations at work and you really need God to give you some wisdom or maybe there's just an adjustment that needs to take place in your heart or in your thinking I want you to do something for me uh, I want you to just stand up real quick would you do that it's not a negative statement about anybody everybody faces challenges there we go look at this all over the building John, I want you to pray for these people. And then I want you to stay here because there's one more thing I want to do. We want to pray for you right now that God will meet you right where you are and give you the wisdom. Some of you have got some major things. Some of you have got some little things. God's big. God's, can you say God is big? God's able to turn some things around. John, lead us in prayer right now. Let's pray. Lord, we take this time to commit our situation at work to you. God, we take to heart what you've shared with us today, that our work is our worship to you, and that work is something that is very holy to you, and you care about our workplace. You care about what we do. You care about the people you, that we interact with. So God, as we are walking through this challenge, thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us, who's going to guide us and teach us what to do. But God, we don't want to get in the way. We don't want our flesh to get out there in front of us and cause uh, situations that we don't want. 
So right now, we lay down our flesh, we lay down our mind, and we commit our work situation to you and ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would open doors of opportunity that no man can shut, that your hand of blessing be upon each person that is here today, that as we go to work, God, that we can carry the light of Jesus, that whether the situation turns immediately or not, whether we get the promotion or not, God, we choose to, to be joyful in the fact that we are there representing you, knowing that you, God, are our provider, not our work. So we put our trust in you. We give our situation to you, God, once and for all, and say, God, you handle it, and we choose to rest in your amazing grace, and we place our hope in you today, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. One more thing that I want to do. Uh, there are some people in, in, in the building today. The last eight years with the recession we have come through, for a lot of people, some of you changed occupations. Some of you have taken jobs that were very different. The pay, the pay scale has been very different. It's just been a whole different season, and you never have really got back to the place where you, where you can really excel with the gifts God's given you. I admire those who've just taken whatever you had to take in a tough season. But, but I feel like this morning, God wants to open this doors for some people. Some of you in the house today, you know, you've been saying for a while, God, I, it looks like it's never going to turn. I'm never going to have another opportunity. If you need a better opportunity... Or if you need a situation where you can excel and do the things that are really in your heart, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you guys today as well, okay? So those of you who are in that situation, okay, we've got some folks here today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Maybe, maybe, how many business owners just need new provision? You need some new provision? You need resources? If that's you, stand to your feet. I want to pray for you as well. Father, in the name of Jesus across this room, there are people who are serving you. They've realized that, that their work is worship. God, we're not talking about secular things. We're talking about our lifestyles of walking with you. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to intervene. Open up jobs for these people. Open up new opportunities for these people. God, there are people here who are blazing trails into new frontiers that have never been opened before in this, this valley, in this area. God, open up the provision, I pray, in the name of Jesus. God, there are people here who are running businesses. They need supernatural provision. They need you to bring in finances now. In the name of Jesus, I call it in right now. Bring that money in in the name of Jesus. And God, we do all this to live a lifestyle of worship, a life that will honor you. And God, we give you praise for all of this, for what you're going to do for new opportunities, new jobs, new ways for promotion that comes from you. In the name of Jesus, we ask for it, and we consider it done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time this morning? John Kim, thank you so much. Give John one more good hand as he, as he goes back to his seat this morning.